Thank you for downloading this New Zealand Sports Radio show. We have a new way that you can support us. There is a link in the notes down below where you can make a one-off donation to New Zealand Sports Radio. Thank you for support and uh, enjoy the show. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Swinging from the Hips, where we're up to episode 18. And today on the show, uh, we review the 134 overs of the second test. Who knows? We might be able to get through every ball uh, that was bowled. We also look forward to the third test as Pakistan tries to level the series and England try and make it 2-0. The CPL gets underway, and hopefully, if we haven't run over too much time, we might have a look at the international career of Mahindra Singh Dhoni, who has pulled stumps on his international career. It's a full board tonight, and thanks to lockdown version two, we have Rohit back uh, after a week off, and also Taz and Taryn back from last week. Uh, we're just waiting for Taz to join us, but uh, welcome, guys. How are you guys doing? Yeah, very good. That's good. That's good. Uh, so, uh, Taryn, um, now you've got the we've got the cricket season drawing closer to us in the southern part of the world. Here, uh, you're involved with QMU Cricket up here in Auckland. What have you got planned? And once we've got come out of lockdown, what's what's going to be going on? Ah, uh, um, so Taz actually is our IT whiz. He's a marketing guru. So we're in the process of um, going through our junior registra registrations at the moment. So we're kind of trying to get the word out there about cricket and trying to get um, kids engaged. A lot of the kids, as you'd know, um, yep. have missed out on a fair bit of um, winter sport. So hopefully we can capitalise on that and try and get them active through playing a bit of cricket over the summer. So oh, that's that, sounds fantastic. <laughs> that yeah. sounds fantastic. And what have, what have you got available for senior players? What sort of things? How, you know, Do you have to be a pro or can you, what, what <laughs> level of cricket are you looking for? What How do you get involved? If, if that place... Allows or accepts people like myself. I think it's there's room for everyone here, you know. So uh, it's a it's a club for everyone. It is quite an inclusive club at Jimmy. Um, we've had um, Steve Noblo on the show before, who um, and we've heard about the good work the club has done over the years with Taz. So you don't have to be a definitely you don't have to be a pro. It'll help if you are in and around the West Auckland region because it just makes it easier for the commute. And I'm sure we can find any cricket or a game of cricket on the weekends and uh, as you said we've had Stephen Noblo on the show before and one of the things that he really did um sort of I suppose allude to or really stress is the fact is that Cumu itself is quite a family orientated club because of the fact that it's almost semi-rural isn't it oh, you've got to be careful calling Cumu semi-rural yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no I, I you're right you're right I actually really enjoy going out there like we kind of Biggest um, get through that 
gridlock between Tierra 2 and through to Royal Road, you know, Avondale and through to Royal Road. Once you get past that, you get to Westgate and it's like you're an English country. It's actually really cool. It gets really cool really quickly and it makes it all worthwhile. So that is good fun. So if you're hankering for a bit of um, critis- uh, English countryside, um, go on down to Cumu and join up. Uh, as you said, if you've been sitting around packing the uh, bread on over lockdowns, give Taryn a call at Cumu. Or look, if you're not close to Cumu, get involved with whatever cricket club is around you and close to you. Even in social cricket, there's plenty of options available. So we've actually got um, we've got Taz joining us now too. Fantastic. Good evening, Taz. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Not bad, not bad. And um, as we sort of uh, mentioned before, after a week off, History Guy is back in the chair. So let's throw <laughs> it over to Robert for this week in history. Yes, good evening all. Hey, um, let's start with the most dramatic duck in the history of cricket. He only needed four more runs to reach that average of 100. But the poor old Don getting out bold second ball for a duck. So he missed out on um, getting that average of 100. And however, um, Aussies did win the um, match point innings, so he didn't get a, set, a chance in that second innings either. So unfortunate for him. And that was 14th of August, shall I say, in 1948. Moving on to 1990, same day, Sachin Tendulkar at the right old age, young age, 17, he says a test against the English at um, Old Trafford. Now, um, thing with him was he battled with management Barker for the last two and a half hours. So well done there in his early days. Now here's one for the West Indies, Clive Lloyd's team back in 84. They dismissed England for 202 at the Oval uh, to win the test by 172 runs. That's the only time England have lost a home series five zip. Uh, moving on to 15th of August. And let's have a look here. Oh, yes, Fred Truman becomes the first bowler to take 300 test wickets when he had Neil Hawke from Australia caught in the slips at at the Oval. And um, we might have to line up a bit of footage for this this one, but we saw on 15th of August 1963 the birth of Robert Charles Russell. And here's a bit of footage, better known as Jack Russell, with some brilliant takes standing up to uh, swing bowling. And we'll just uh, watch a couple of these. I was just uh, impressed with this keeping as a keeper myself or, you know, wannabe keeper. Um, just oh. fantastic takes, these, wasn't it? And the next one's even better, heading down leg side. <laughs> um, well, and while the footage is playing, I'll carry on here. Now, back on 15th of August 2015, Sri Lanka pull off one of their greatest wins after a first innings deficit of 192 and being 95 for five in the second innings, where Dennis Chanamal scored an unbeaten 161. What a fantastic stumping. Uh, Dennis Chanamal scored an unbeaten 162, leaving India 176 to win. But uh, Hiraf cleaned out the Indians with seven for 48 and putting off a remarkable win there. Now, 16th of August 1974 saw the birth of Shiv Chandapal, one of West Indies greats. And um, he it was an interesting start to his career where he scored two hundreds in his first 53 tests. Most people would have probably have got dropped by them, uh, being a batsman and not going on with it. But the run machine, he got to his 10,000 10, runs in his 140th test. 
But, you know, ever since that 53rd test, he just went on a run-scoring spree. And, um, look, 1950 saw perhaps arguably one of the fastest bowlers of them all, Jeff Thompson. Uh, he, he didn't have a great start on his debut, taking zero, no wickets, for 110, but was most likely due to that broken toe he played with. Um, moving on, now this is an interesting one. Labelled as one of the best one-day batsmen in the world by Steve Waugh at the time, Michael Bevan and Waugh put on 222 to help beat South Africa in an ODI at the Colonial Stadium in Melbourne. Now, Steve Waugh's century in that match was the 500th in one-day internationals, one ball after Michael Bevan had scored the 499th test uh, one-day century. Now, the significance of this being in history was that it was the first international match to be played indoors. So there's, it was um, the start of the indoor cricket stuff, outdoor indoor. Moving on, we've got now we've got a fair bit here this uh, this evening, but uh, not too far to go. 17th of August in 54, Pakistan won their very first Test match after eight attempts, and they secured a 24-run victory over. England at the Oval. Oval's been mentioned a fair few times this evening already. <laughs> <laughs> 17th of August, moving on in 1976. Now, this is an interesting one too. And um, Whispering Death, Michael Holding, became the only West Indies player at the time to take 14 wickets in a test. And he cleaned up Tony Gregg, who infamously suggested before the series began that West Indies might have to grovel. Um, I think that was a bad call early on by Tony there. And... Heading to the last one, uh, 18th of August, 2000, saw the first two-day test in 50 years. Yep, England, uh, you know, racing to victory in two days, uh, beating the West Indies, who all bowled out for 61 and 26.2 overs, with Andy Caddick getting four wickets and one over, with all being bowled in swinging Yorkers. So there we have it, a bit of lineup for this evening with different things happening in history, but uh, a varied amount. No, that's definitely, and uh, as you said, right back at the top of it, the interesting one there, poor old Don Bradman, eh? Probably one, uh, you know, discussed as being probably the greatest batsman, arguably, but for many, the greatest batsman cricket player that's ever been, and uh, he was a player that just liked perfection so much, and he missed out by four runs on having a perfect average of 100. Yeah, what a shame. Incredible, eh? Incredible, absolutely incredible. But he was a guy that you watched him play and from the old footage when I was watching, you know, old reels, and he was a guy that just see the ball, hit the ball, eh? It's an amazing eye. Absolutely. I mean, well, no, you can't. <laughs> well, it's, like, it's, it's, it's you, you put that technique down to the old uh, water tank out the back, the corrugated water tank, which you used yeah. to throw the golf ball against and, to, and play with a stump. And, and to think they played on uncovered pitches back then too. Yeah, that, that's the hard thing to sort of, you know, the fact that they played on uncovered pitches, isn't it? You don't yeah. know, a bit of rain and you don't know what the pitch was going to do. That's it. Incredible, incredible stuff. What, uh, you know, you needed four more runs to reach 7,000 test runs, so you missed out on that too. So I just yep. missed out saying that. That's, well, moving right along into this week in news, and um, I'll bring you that one, and it's just like, okay, so... As as we'll talk about later in the show, Mahindra Singh Dhoni announced his retirement from the international game. He's called it quits so that his last act in the game uh, in an international stage, on an international stage, was being run out by Martin Guptill. 
And, but he will remain active in the lucrative IPL. And we will look at, as I said before, um, Dhoni's record a little bit later on the show. On sad news, former Indian opener Chetan Chauhan passed away from COVID-19-related complications. He played 48 tests and averaged 31.58. The Australian government has given green light for the Australians to go tour England in September. Now, they'll be going over there to play a ODI series and a T20 series. Now, Cricket South Africa is in a right mess. Chris Nanzani has stepped down as the Cricket South Africa's president. Nasai Apiai, I hope I've got that close. I know I've got it wrong. The chief operations officer has been sacked. Clive Eckstein <clears> was dismissed in June and has taken CSA Cricket South Africa to court. Then by Monroe, Moreau remains in mediation with Cricket South Africa after he was suspended. So who wants to step in to that mess? Well, Kugandri Govinda, the chief commercial officer, has been named as the acting chief executive. And good luck to her to try and sort that mess out and try and get South Africa back on the right road, so to speak, but especially in management anyway. Now, moving back to Australia, they will be reverting back to a single captain to support Aaron Finch as the captain of ODI and T20 teams. They went to dual vice captains after Sandpaper Gate and now we'll be reverting back for uh, to a single vice captain to help with on right uh, on field management. And in finally, in Dream Eleven uh, Fantasy League organization, we'll be taking over from Vivo as the naming rights sponsor for the IPL. Now, I wasn't able to confirm this, but from what I can work out in the exchange rates, they're paying something like thirty million US dollars for the naming rights for one year. Now, as I said. I, I could have got the conversion of that wrong, but it was something like um, 222 core, which I don't, I'm not quite sure, but I, I typed that into the exchange rate and it came out at 30 million US. Guys who understand the rupee, do you think that might be about right? Uh, Indian rupee, I, Taron better know. <laughs> I can tell you about Pakistan rupees. That's Pakistan rupee. <laughs> I'm not smart enough. I don't know how many zeros go in the rupees, like in those scores. So, yeah. Um, I did read an article that said it started off, it started off with DLF by um, getting the original rights for $40 million initially. Yep. And then it went to PepsiCo or someone. For oh somewhere so it started at forty million with somebody, it went to two hundred million after that, and then right. up to four hundred, and then Vivo purchased it at four hundred when um, PepsiCo pulled out during the twenty thirteen or roughly around that time saga with match fixing etc. That's yep. when Vivo jumped in, and Vivo's now gone, walked away for this year. For this and, year, yes, um, yeah, Dream Eleven with I think it's forty odd million, but <clears throat> two hundred million for. The thing again, it's the same average over five years, broken down right. for one. But but from what I read, it's not. It's it is actually slightly less than what Vivo were um, paying this on an annual basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. It's a little yeah, bit right. Less, yeah. A little bit less, yeah. But as I said, it's at this stage, it's only for one year. Vivo has the opportunity to come back in um, next year, don't they? No, I think they do come back in next year. Oh, they do come back in. Okay. Yeah. Now, that's cool. So, right. So, with our news out the way, week in history out the way, let's move on into the topics for this week. And at the top of the list is the second week. Uh, who wants to start first? 
<laughs> it's just like, but seriously, what can we take out of a pretty damp test match? Uh, what did we learn from that 130-odd overs? I mean, I guess, like, uh, one thing they got right was the track was fresh. So, which meant, like, uh, you know, I mean, if, if you if you were to have a result in a shortened game, that's probably an ideal track for it because it's a fresh track, enough moisture in it, a lot of sideways moment, and then in England as it moves in the air as well. So, um, I think Pakistan, just to my surprise, batted for 90-odd overs, you know. <laughs> um, on a track like that, like, where obviously, you know, it's a, it's... It's a sort of zone unknown, like, you know, especially this time of the year, like in August, you don't expect the ball to do as much as it was doing. Um, yep. I don't know. What's your take, Taryn? Yeah, uh, I, yeah I, I, I thought they better really well. And 230 in England is not too shabby. Like you want to, if that ended up as a 272 or 80, you would have taken that on a day one in England, yep. especially with that bowling attack. And to have them, I mean, even if you look at the whole fixture, to see that they were 110 for even now, you would think it's probably an even game, like quite a balanced game, and the next partnership would have dictated how the game would have swung. Yeah, I mean, England, I think, dropped a few catches early on. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. And, you know, it just doesn't help, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's probably because, I mean, if you, any team, even if Australia was here or any other team, on that track against like you know like how England opening bowlers were bowling like 236 is a big score <laughs> yeah yeah i was gonna say so yeah. i actually felt watching some of the game that if they were actually able to get in like three and a half days of cricket might have actually got a result out of this game because there was actually quite a lot of playing and missing yeah, and as I said, like, if there are no drop catches, like, you know, Pakistan innings would have been shortened, like, you know, and um, they managed to get a day and a half, technically day and a half out of five. So if there was, like, a, a, even if you got, like, uh, three days and better catching, either way, one or the other team would have won. <laughs> yeah, somebody. <Yeah. laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you who would have been magic on that wicket or would have been worth staying up all night to watch would have been Mohammad Asif. Yeah, yeah. Mohammed on that would have been absolute joy to watch. I was scrolling through Facebook watch feeds, and then when uh, Pakistan bowled England out up up in one of the northern grounds for about sixty odd or seventy odd in one of the games, like in twenty ten or something, maybe Australia. Australia yeah, I think yeah. they bowled Australia out. Oh man, I was watching those highlights, and it was just beautiful. It just pushed in, straightens, pushed in, straightens. I mean, yeah, Azar Ali really bowled one ball, I think. And did you see that ball? Nah. Nah, so he actually, I mean, he bowled a medium pace, so he shaped it in, so starting from middle, and then just, it was like perfect ball if you get a chance to have a look. So even like someone like Azar Ali, who's not a medium pacer, just bowled one ball and was unplayable. I think Butler played and missed so it. Much, so much for you talking him up as a leg spinner. One thing I, I take, um, one thing about this game good for Pakistan was actually that Azhar Ali wasn't LBW. Yeah, right. And yeah, sort of a track like this, if, if he was to get out LB, because he's been LB in the last four innings, like, you know, two in the previous test match and two in the warm up game leading up to that. So I think he's out of, hopefully he's out of it because he was, he was, 
he was opening up a little bit. But I mean, yeah. that's what we were talking last week. If he mm. opens up a little bit, then he will get announced at age. So <laughs> he got Anderson got him out. But I think him him um, not getting LB and trying to bet time was uh, was pretty great. And between um, Barbara Azam and Rizwan, these two um, batted for forty six overs. Mm. So like that's huge for um obviously Pakistan to order that because Babar Azam usually if he scored forty seven it's usually of sixty or seventy balls. He he likes bat and ball. Um so I mean keeping that in mind, so he he faced about 127 balls for his forty seven. That's that's slow for him, but he obviously um sort of wanted to bet longer. Rizwan has got a really nice technique. It's very compact, I think. I I like he just looks like quite a short <coughs> where, where he bats. I think what's been surprising is uh, Asad Shafiq hasn't come off yet. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, if he kind of came off with Barbarazam and then Rizwan having the technique that he does, I think it's the middle order sorted. And it's a shame. We talked at length about Fawad Alam and <laughs> his, you know, his time and the domestic, the grind and then to come back. It's just so unfortunate. I, I'm still not convinced. It's almost as if fate played a role and it just looked like what a innocuous dismissal for a play of his um, domestic record. What do you think, Taz? Yeah, I mean, I guess like, you know, it's uh, like anybody, anybody's probably the, you know, the nerves and everything. Like, you know, it's kind of, you know, it's first game, game back and a lot of media attention. And um, it's, I think it, it, it probably, because it was, yeah, as you said, like, it wasn't something like you would expect, like, a uh, top order batsman to sort of, you know, miss. Mm. But, um, like, I hope he gets another go. You know? <laughs> yeah, I really hope. In. Just going to quickly yeah. jump in there. Now, I, I didn't see um, Fawad Alam bat, but I did see an image of him standing pretty square. <laughs> did you guys see him bat? Did he actually do that? And what was going yeah. on there? Yeah, okay, I'll start on this. Yep. <clears throat> he starts off very square, agreed, and a lot is made off it. Um, and I'll quickly jump on to, um, um, so he starts off square, right? We, we all yep. agree that that's fine. But you see where he ends up when, when the ball is released, it's no different to any good better. Yeah. Okay. I, I think Chanderpaul used to do something similar too, where he used to start off square, almost, um, facing the yes, shoulders facing. And then he used to basically get the front foot going down the pitch. Yeah, Before like, the bowlers actually. Oh, um, I've got a. Um, I had the privilege of kind of playing cricket with and living with a um, gentleman called Subramani Badrinath, who played over 100 um, T20 IPL games. Obviously, on Facebook, he posted this, and I hope he won't mind uh, me quoting him on it. And I'm quoting this, right? He's got. He posted a photo of Fawad Alam, and he's got much has been spoken about Fawad Alam's stand, stance, as the term denotes. One can stand in any which way he wants. It's the readiness to play the ball that actually matters in batting. Yep. You know, so that kind of sums it up. Then he's gone on to say, the technical term would be active neutral position or the posture a batsman is in at the moment before he faces the delivery. That is what matters the most. He, Fawad gets side on from this stance at that particular moment. Yeah, so I, I think I, I agree to it. And there's one one more thing uh, with that is like just how I see I see batting is your eyes are level. 
So even his open stance, his eyes were level and about to play. He he's aligned he aligned himself side on when he was about to play, which is obviously a better position to be in. But like through the whole process, his head wasn't like moving like like you know, and so he was quite. I think he had a good balance. So mm. I mean, obviously, you know, he hasn't scored runs, so his his stance got a lot more attention than it should yeah. would have otherwise. You know? So we've yeah. got quite a few players around the world that are starting to, you know, you'd say non-traditional. Um, oh, it's been going to batting. Right. I mean, it's Steve Smith. No, right. well, I mean, like when you take a Steve Smith who is on the move, and then at the last moment before the ball's delivered, he's in a position, as you say, stable platform before he actually faces the bowler. But before that. Just you know, moments before that, he's actually got his feet moving all over the place. Yeah. So yeah, even it does. It's not a modern age thing. It's if you go back to Ridley Jacobs, who used to be a keeper for West yep. Indies. Yeah. He had a very unique stance. Go before him. This gentleman's name is Clayton Lambert from West Indies, left-handed opener. Yep. Used to absolutely butcher the ball, right? And his stance was terrible, but he smashed. It. I think he's got a one-day hundred. He even went on to play for USA. Again, very unique stance. Not so long ago, um, George Bailey played around with that closed-off stance. You know, it's about trial and error and what works for you. And they all end up in the same position when the ball is delivered. Delivered, That's the yes. Of, That's the key. Yep. The fundamentals don't change. They just get there in their own unique way. Tess, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, as I said, like a lot of people had closed stance as well. Someone like um, even Katic, you know, like you see, watch him bat. You say, oh, man, he's going to get LB, but... You know, he just like he plays the way he he does. I mean, he he did, and he had a good international record. I think someone like um, Macmillan tried it, but it didn't come naturally to him. So it was yeah. almost almost like a like you know, it didn't work out for him. But it was forced. It wasn't natural to him. Mm. But if it is natural to you, why would you change if you're scoring mm. runs? <laughs> there is um, um, Paddy Upton talks about um, in his uh, book, Paddy Upton, who used to be the mental conditioning coach for India under Gary Kirsten, he's got a renowned coach and just got a bit of international stuff in IPL too. He may, he talks about something where it's along a theme of flight or fight, right? So under pressure, you revert back to what's natural to you. So you're better off training what is natural to you because if it's coached, then under pressure, you won't do it. You'll just revert to what's natural. So it's about maximizing your natural style and individualism and refining it as opposed to coaching it out. Cool. Well, so basically, just to sum up the Pakistan better, Rizwan would have been happy with um, his 72, um, Abid Ali with his 60. Barbara Azam, a little bit sort of, he'd be happy with the 47, but obviously he'd want to go on. And um, even with the 47, he's managed to crack the, the um, ICC's top five batters, uh, test batters. So he, he'd be happy with his uh, oh, return there. Ashwin, I'll just quickly jump in there. After the yep. first test loss for Pakistan, a lot of people jumped on the bandwagon saying terrible captains from Azraeli, worse Safraz Ahmed, etc., etc. If Safraz yes. Ahmed was here, Pakistan would have been all out for 120 because Rizwan <laughs> was held back by Safraz Ahmed's inadequacy and staying in that team for too long. Yeah, but yes, I mean, sir, like, the counter argument for that would be like, um, Surfraz is like your but like he will throw bad at anything, right? Uh, so like situations like these, where like you know, like you, you'll probably remember with a lot of keeper batsmen who come down the order who are not orthodox but just throw the bat at everything. So, yeah. sort of a track where it's hard to bat orthodox. Um, and bat long and then score runs if you're limited with your technique. So I think yeah. Sirfraz 
could have been completely different package. Either it would have been quick 70 runs of 50-odd balls or no runs, as, as Taran said. But uh, Rizwan is definitely your better bit to bat on a track mm. like that. And again, as, one more thing with Pakistan tail. I think last four batsmen scored eight runs. <laughs> yes, that's <laughs> uh, a real concern for them, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, so I think Pakistan is still carrying a longer tail. What are, yes. what are the options here? They don't, do they have any options? So they've got um, either they play six batsmen. I mean, either play, they play um, like one of, I think Sohail Khan is a bowler who can bat, like who, you know, probably bat better than like, you know, sort of um, Shaheen Shah or the rest of the three. Um, and there's a left-arm spinner who could play, but like, who would you drop? Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, yes, the last four contributed eight runs. But that ninth wicket partnership went from 176 to 215. So that's not bad. Mohamed Abbas. Yeah, he batted for a while to allow Rizwan to score. So they are that. And they, you want to look at it in partnership. And the contribution they made was the time that they spent there. So yeah, if that can be job. prolonged by another 20, 30%, that's not too bad. Well, we'll hold that thought because we'll come back to it because obviously when we look at the third test and see what changes we want to make, moving on to the English lineup, Stuart Broad just keeps on trucking on with another four wickets and um, Jimmy Anderson, after a bit of talk about not picking up any wickets, gets three. So two happy bowlers there. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, about... um, I guess like Anderson's position was in question, but as we were talking last week, if you drop him, that's probably would be end of the road for him. So uh, now if they sort of risk him or drop him, I don't know. I think they should play him the next test match as well. Uh, especially he's finding his late, like, you know, away, away swing to the right-hander and bringing into the left-handers. So um, I don't know. I mean, Curran, uh, you know, didn't look threatening, but ball all right. Uh, Vokes did a bit, of, uh, bit with the ball and... Uh, yeah, so I mean, uh, my mate uh, Dom Best didn't bowl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> a lot of trust in him. <laughs> I mean, they only bowled 46 or oh, how many overs? Oh, nine, nine, oh, so 90 odd overs. At all in 91 overs, yeah. So that's a bit of a surprise. Well, I suppose it was just a lot of, the, I mean, you look at the um, atmospheric conditions, the pitch conditions, perfect for your um, seam bowlers to come in or your swing bowlers to come in. But well, also, on on off field though, but you know, kind of you're on and off the field, so your rest periods are longer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look yeah. at the overs was... they did bowl, those big boys, the seamers, they were try smashing into the 20s, right, the top two. And yep. for Anderson at his age to bowl 27, but it's over a long period of time. Yes. Not, he hasn't smashed it over four sessions. Yeah. No, absolutely. It's just like, um, I'm just on, I think with Anderson, the other thing, key thing is the fact is that he did, like, during the West Indies series uh, in particular, as there were a lot of drop catches off his bowling. So I suppose his bowling figures could have been quite different if they'd held on held on to a few catches. Yes, and Makes especially early on in the innings, like, if, if you drop a catch off his bowling in first 10 overs, that's criminal, you know, because he's a, <laughs> obviously he's not getting any younger, and if you don't get that boost early on. <laughs> it's hard to sort of put effort in later. Absolutely. So England England comes in and they get to bat for the whole sum of 40-odd overs and um, Crawley and Sibley do well. Concerns around for them around that they, they really don't have a great um, opening partnership. They've, they've lost an early wicket, whether it was, again, the West Indies series or the two matches against Pakistan. They've lost early wicket. That'd be something of a concern for them. 
Yeah, I guess like uh, Cook has been there for ages, right? And uh, after him, they kind of they're still sort of playing around and see finding the right combination. And uh, it's just like Burns scored some runs, and then he obviously is on and off. So no one has been consistent enough. And it happens, like you know, when you have someone like you know, sort of Cook was who played at that position for long. fifteen years. It's hard to you sort of you know replace people like him. Yeah, and I suppose it's, it's something um, that um, you alluded to, Taryn, with the um, even within a game, we you build partnerships, you build that combination um, with your betting partner. Yeah, exactly, and it's also um, um, how would you put it? Like, I know Taz touched on the cook part, but England struggles at the opening and started when Strauss finished. Cook kind of kept one end set, and then there and there was a bit of a musical chairs happening at one end, but Cook was always there. So, you know, somebody had a nice little purple patch and they contributed, like Carberry came and went, and people just kept coming and going, but Cook was always there. And while Cook was finishing up, nobody quite established himself, so it's kind of opened up both ends at the moment for them at the top. So every every game, one comes off, the other one doesn't, so they don't have a solid opening start yet. Something to work on. <laughs> And then for the, uh, I suppose, moving on to the bowling, because I said there was only 40-odd overs. Not not a lot you can tell, really, get from that, apart from, I don't know, I'll let you guys go. You saw some of the um, Pakistani bowling. What did you take away from that? I guess, again, it was stop and, like, start and stop. Like, I think... Yep. Um, Can't get a rhythm if, going. Yeah, it's... Uh, I mean, they, obviously, Mohamed Abbas and Shaheen bowled a lot of overs, and then Yasser Shah bowled a few. I was surprised Nasim Shah only bowled five. So... Um, they're carrying him. Abbas was on the money most of the times. So I guess that was a track. He, he's like poor man's Muhammad Asif, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, so, Taran, uh, you don't think um, that Nazim Shah should be there? Nah. Nah. And I, I even think they, um, they probably, within their squad, they probably needed another, like a sharpish swing bowler. Like somebody who actually do something with the ball, because through the middle you've got a fantastic spinner, right? So he will get you wickets. What you need is in the front forty, you need guys attacking and taking poles. And I don't think and so Sheen Shaheen offers you that speed and that pace. You needed two magicians with the ball that can get you wickets through that, and these guys can then go on to the holding role. And Nasim Shah, I'm not convinced, not yet. I'd hate to face him, but you know, but I'm not convinced at that level yet. Yeah, think I about like, Akeem Davin. Tess, Tess, right like, of reply. Akeem Davin. Yeah, yeah. I guess like out and out face. I mean, like I know what you mean. It's just like because Pakistan, obviously, um, over the years have been like last ten years, especially we haven't really had uh, like Muhammad Amir would have been ideal. Like you know, yeah. if he was around, like you know, but he's. Uh, um, I was like, if it was, uh, if if how much the wicket was doing, someone like even Wahab Riaz, with just extra pace, and he's aggressive, oh. so he pushes the batsman back, and someone like um, like other bowlers would have been more effective if someone can push the. He's just aggressive bowler. He's not. He doesn't. He started to swing it like bringing in in last two years, but again, out and out quick, and he's. Probably around the same pace as Nasim Shah, maybe maybe a yard quicker, but he is your the guy who will ball bounces, you know, like like Wagner for New Zealand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
Yeah, uh, agreed. I think so. Amir is available. He's chosen to make himself unavailable because he's married to a British national, right? So he's probably in the country as we speak. And Muhammad I, Amir, I think he's, he's, he's in the country for the white ball cricket. Yeah, he's yeah. Yep, that's right. So he's he's actually in quarantining at the moment. Yeah, it's a shame that he's um, not available. Like you said, he would have been perfect with the new ball. And he, yeah. Yeah, I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not sold on Wahab Riaz, but he would still would have been a better bet than Nassim Shah. Just yet. It's just like, you know, if you're, your third seamer's role is to, to like, you know, push the batsman on the back foot. Yeah. I mean, I guess like Wahab Riaz, maybe not back-to-back test matches, but one-off, you know? Yeah. Test match. He would and, have he would have, and he would have reversed it as well. And, and, and he can bat. He can hit yeah. a ball. Yeah. So yeah. that sort of yeah. solves your problem well. of number number eight, number nine, you know? Yeah. So let's he move on to this. Though, he was considered not for this test match, but for the series, but he's been left out. So, but he's still in England. So, Is Amir available for test match play or is he retired from tests? Amir's he, retired from tests. He is, he isn't he? He's retired yeah. from red ball cricket, yeah. Uh, yeah. Okay, because I was going to say, let's move on to the third test. What about something from left field? And he's there, mm. he's finished his quarantining, grab Mohammed Amir in and say, we're chucking him into that third test. <clears throat> I, mean, I, told, I would love to see him bowl in test matches, you know. Yeah. <laughs> because he's a white ball bowler anyway. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, uh, I guess like uh, at the moment at the bench or people who are already in, in, in England. So we've got uh, Swail Khan and Bahab Riaz possibly, who yep. are part of the wider squad and still in England. So I guess like, you know, if they want to drop one of the, I mean, maybe risk Nasim Shah and get one of the two, those two guys in. That also helps your batting, but at the same time, um, obviously helps helps your bowling. Is is Riaz a serious contender for that third test? You reckon? I don't know. He, I mean, he's he's been talked about for mm. the series, but because they didn't pick him for the first test, so I assume that because he kind of pulled out from red ball cricket last year, you know, alongside Amir, but yeah. then he made himself available. So I don't know if you know they want to. Um, look back, you know. Yeah, get him yeah. In. I think and it, it's a tough one. Like you want to pick Wahabri as for his batting skills, but I think Sahel Khan will probably give you a bit more with the ball on an all-round level. And Wahab, I don't think Wahab would give you any. I I don't know. I'm not convinced. I think Sahel Khan will probably give you more. I mean, we talked about the Neil Wagner type effect before. Do you feel that Wahab Riaz has got more of that angry bowler type? Mm. You know, coming in more aggressively. Aggressive. I think it's one thing to be angry, and it's another thing to be a Neil Wagner, who's consistently <laughs> demonstrated that skill and got wicket with it. That's ridiculous what he's achieved. He is, I don't. Yeah. I literally cannot think of anyone else in the world that's got wickets the way he has for at that, that period of time, at that pace, for that many years. A lot of them have done it over six to eight overs. Great. He's done it for eight fucking eight years. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> how much i genuinely admire the bloke for what he's done like i just yeah. can't believe he's done it for eight years oh it's been incredible <laughs> so look we've had the question uh coming through from facebook what's the weather looking like for the third test so um here it is it's england, it's, it's it's england. <laughs> um, i'll bring it up on the screen there we go we've got go. um Basically, it's it's better. It's a better forecast than last for the second test. Um, we're not seeing a lot of hundred percents 
which we saw last time when we looked at the weather forecast for the next sort of uh, five to six days. Um, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> well I, I sort of think, I mean, like, Taryn, you mentioned it last time, is like, you know, with the English summer, um, what we can get is, like, you get a weather forecast that says there's going to be rain. The rain comes through, the rain moves on, it's the rain for the day, and you, the rest of the day is okay. So mm. with the weather forecast that we see at the moment, that's the sort of forecast that we could say that that would happen. Yeah, oh, exactly. And we, we don't know, right? It's such a small island. It, is it coming from the continent that it's going to blow through or is it coming from the Atlantic that it's going to come sit or is it the other way around? We don't know. So the experts out there will know and it literally is it just showers. It looks like it's just going to be showers. Yep. So it can be a hit and miss. Um, I'm sure ECB will do anything and everything to make sure that they get some cricket so they get that television thing and the broadcasting happening and yeah, I always wonder why they can't do a covered stadium. <laughs> it's not especially remember in Australia, the balls yeah, have been yeah. flat down. Yeah, but like for England, especially where you know that there will be a lot of rain, you know. But uh, I guess like you know, sort of because there's a lot of money at stake because there's a lot of sponsorship money and then advertising and TV rights and whatnot and whatnot. So I mean, I guess you know, they, I mean, they, there must be something. There must be a reason they're not doing it. But I'll tell you what it is. 2020, you expect them to be doing it. For test cricket, I'll tell you what it is. They're English. It's not proper cricket, lad. How many times have the ball hit the roof? What is this? Are we, are we in a bunker again? Since we've digressed on to, um, uh, you know, it, it, the game and and how it gets disrupted by the weather. One of the things is that, you know, with light conditions and like, there's obviously been some rules changes in the last few years. You know, in the past, it was the light was bad. It's offered to the batsman. It was the, really the batsman that decided whether they went off or not. Now it's the umpires that decide. And the other thing is the fact that they seem to start the game so much later in the day. I mean, I remember as a kid and the games used to start at like when the test matches in New Zealand, they were starting at 10 o'clock. So these days they're starting at 11. And then, like, you get a bad light at the end of the day. If you're starting at 10, you're you're finishing at 5. If you need to carry on till 6, you've got that sort of time to fit in a few overs. But if you're starting at 11 and finishing at 6, you've got 6 till 7, and you can get the light fades and isn't so great. But what are your thoughts? I, I, I sort of think start the game earlier. Gives you England, more options. Like, I guess, like in England, I mean, the I mean, I don't know what's the sunset time now, but it's generally longer, longer days than New Zealand. Yeah. Yep. But more, right. uh, I think the because now they've started doing the day-night test cricket, <laughs> so that's yep. what prompted me to say that why why can't they have covered stadiums then? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so that the rain is out of question for something like this. Or you could start at eleven and just understand that the last hour gets played in twilight, and you have the lights on one hundred percent. And yep. you just well, I was consistent. just going to come to that. What's keep wrong with turning the lights on? Just turn the lights on for all five days. Or yep. even leave it in the captain's hands. Say, hey, look, at the toss, make it a part of the strategy. Hey, look, we are going to, we're expecting poor weather. Are you happy with all five days being under lights, regardless of um, whatever, right? Give it, throw it in the hands of the players, the, you know, the custodians of the game, as opposed to 
the bureaucrats sitting there going, oh, no, 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 we can't do that because we've agreed in bylaw X, Y, Z that this is how we're going to play. Yeah, look, I mean, I absolutely agree. It's just like, why not chuck it over to the players? I mean, we go back a few years and um, England um, black caps at Eden Park and there was player um, a, a series agreement that they could go and turn the lights on and carry on playing. Now, that got dangerous because of the red ball at night, even with lights, was quite hard to see. But in twilight, it's not an issue, is it, really? You get the lights in to just amp the lights up, the light up a bit, and it's okay. You, the red ball might not work in, when it's totally dark under lights, but it works fine under twilight. Yeah. Yep. And literally, like, and leave it to the captains on that test. It can be quite fluid. If you're expecting poor weather, both captains agree, this is how we're going to play at the start of the test. And if you're the underdog, you have the opportunity to say, no, no, actually, I'm happy to take the draw. So, no, I don't want that rule enforced. So, yeah. you just play the traditional rule. So, it's a bit like that Major League Baseball, right? You've got uh, what's the National League and the whatever conference, the different rules. So, you, you have the opportunity to actually go, yeah, we'll play this or we don't want to play this. Right. Okay. Did not know that. Did not know that. Look, we're, we better move on. But before we do, Changes for the England team. Are we expecting any? I'm sort of thinking maybe some rotation in the bowlers. Yeah, I guess, like, you know, uh, I mean, uh, again, I'm really hard on the young lad. I mean, they will probably won't drop Dombes, but uh, they can probably rest, um, I don't know, one of the Dombis. old guys. Dombes? Do you want him to rest <laughs> Dombes? Don't drop him, but rest him. <laughs> so, um, Rick can bowl a bit of spin, that's okay, and you can get uh, another fast bowler in look, there. I mean, if, if the track is something like what it is, it was last test match. I mean, you definitely, if you, you can bring in another batsman, I don't know your thoughts, Darren. Um, I think it comes down to some really good coaching and management styles. If you go down the road of leaving out your spin, and I'm not saying this you know, at all in defense of spinners. But once you start going down the road of leaving out a spinner, it's a slippery slope. You then start loading yourself on green tracks and you start your brand of cricket changes. And there's also the element, okay, forget COVID and what's happening. There's the element of developing a spinner and keeping him there because he's also got a role to win you matches in three months' time when you're touring the subcontinent or the Caribbean. So they're keeping them in the system, not just the system, but in the eleven and being part of the game. Give, there's a development element as well. So you've got to be, they've got to be very careful, and that falls on the coaching management and the leadership group. If it's a one-off, yeah, totally get it. But bigger picture stuff, there is a development focus as well. So who would you so leave in, out? In a nutshell, I wouldn't leave out Dombes. <laughs> <laughs> but would you? Was Sam Curran um, sort of effective enough? Um, he, I, nice bowler, good bowler, good white ball cricketer. Other than outside of England, possibly in New Zealand with the Duke's ball, but not even with the Kookaburra, is he going to hurt anybody after his first spell? Is he going to cause havoc with the Kookaburra in Australia at the next Ashes? Probably not. No, no. Right? So that means that from what you're saying, from what you're saying, you chuck, you, you take Curran out, you chuck Archer back in with yeah. a view to that Ashes development again. No, not development, but is he out? He's like, it's a bit like an older Anderson. Or Anderson at his prime only did so much in Australia. So if Curran 
unless he picks up a yard of space or he actually starts working a bit of magic with the Kookaburra, he's still only going to be, at best, a poor man's Muhammad Abbas, you know, with the new ball only. After that, what's he going to do? He's going to bat, yes. He's a good fielder, yes. But as a, if you're chosen as a bowler, your role is very different. So I think he'd be the first guy I'd be looking at if I was, um, you know, playing around with my squad. Right. So, so we move on to Pakistan. We move on to, sorry. Like oh, Mark. Mark Wood. He's obviously um, sitting out for a wee while, and um, he might have some point to prove. You know. Uh, I mean, he's think... been playing a quite a lot of test matches this summer, you know, down under already. So is he due a, a break? Who's that? The old statesman. Anderson. 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 Yeah. As, as we sort of keep thinking, in it, if, if yeah. Anderson misses out on a test, it might be his last. Yeah. Hey, not necessarily. <laughs> no, he could be He'll just go on ice and he'll come back in April next year. <laughs> you know, he, he no, he doesn't. He doesn't. I don't think he travels or he plays one test and that's it. He gets rotated in the subcontinent. And let's be honest, no one's going anywhere this winter. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> oh, there'll be teams coming to New Zealand, won't there? <laughs> oh well, I think they might. They probably have to reciprocate the tour to Pakistan and West Indies, to be honest. Yep. Mm. And so let's speaking of Pakistan, let's move on to Pakistan. Changes for Pakistan into the third test. Oh, nothing to drop. I mean, like, <laughs> so top six, unless they obviously drop Fawad Allen, but top six is sorted. This keeper is secure. Yasisha eight. So it's, I think it's just maybe leaving out one of the batsmen or one of the fast bowlers, sorry, and maybe resting one of the fast bowlers and bringing someone different. Uh, especially with Nasim Shah, he, he's played back-to-back -back two test matches, although he only bowled five overs in this. Um, I guess like they will they will probably rest one of the two young players, but as Tarun said, probably Nasim Shah is uh, looking less threatening than Shaheen Shah, so I would probably risk Nasim and bring in uh, maybe uh, Sohail Khan. Yeah, I, I agree. Agree. I watched him against Warner when he bowled a couple of nuts last year. You know, he bowled really good, but there was nothing really happening with the ball. You know, there was not, there was no real movement, lateral movement in the air, nothing really off the deck. It was just really good pace up and down. And unless you're like a show back to scary quick, at that level, it's just half a course. Like they, they're okay with it. You've either got to have a show back to. Even show back to swung it, then he has. Yeah, he swung that ball out. Yeah, my favorite call. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. Nassim Shah is young. Nothing against that. Like, but right now, if, with Pakistan wanting and desperate to square the series, you've got to turn to a better experience. And I think, like we talked about, possibly Sahil Khan, and if, and maybe potentially um, Wahab Riaz. Alrighty, we'll, we'll move it. Yeah, now that I thought about it, I think I'd go for Wahab. He'll give you a bit of batting. He can be a third seamer. That way, Sheen Shaheen can pitch it up, swing it, and Abbas can swing it. Done. We'll, we'll, we'll take that one for a dollar. We'll move along because we've got a few couple other things we need to get through. So um, we'll look forward to that. That game starts tomorrow, um, our New Zealand time, 9 o'clock and 10 o'clock in the evening. So um, we won't. Uh, we'll wake up Saturday morning, I suppose, and find out what's happened in that one. And now moving on to the CPL. So basically, the CPL has just kicked off a couple of days ago in the Caribbean. Obviously, they're playing in two venues. 
Last year, the Tridents took out the final, beating the Guyana Amazon Warriors, who were the runners-up. That was interesting because that reversed the um, table. Oh, I think I'm – am I still coming through, guys? Uh, you're frozen. Oh, dear. You're breaking up. I'm frozen, aren't I? You are. Oop, what's happening there? Your internet must be – I am. I am. Can you hear me, though? We can hear you. Yes, we can hear you. You can keep the chat going and... What's happening? Ashwin's frozen himself out at the moment because of... Oh, okay, we'll just keep it going, What's eh? Going? Keep it going. Sorry about the yes. Yeah, so CPL. we're talking about CPL? Yes. CPL, yeah. Uh, Has anyone seen any clips or uh, clips? Or I've just seen some highlights, but uh, yeah, I think the timing is not right for us to watch it live. Yeah. No, 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 it's really good, actually. Uh, the second round is always at 9 o'clock, 9 a.m. In the morning? Yeah, yeah. Again. It's, uh, so it's, so it's like, uh, 1, one a.m. 1 a.m. It... in the morning start, and another one's at 9, 9 p.m. start, I think. Okay. Is, is it on, on um, Sky, is it? Yeah, Aaron, Aaron was telling me that it is on Sky. Right. Okay, there we go. The teams for the. All right. PSA, uh, there we CPL. go. So they've got the teams back up. Can you? I think I'm back on again. I think I've unfrozen. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. I've got too many windows open with uh, all the things that we're trying to bring up. But um, there's our squad. So basically, as I was just saying, um, last year it was the um, uh, Tridents that took it out. Um, and it was actually interesting because it flipped it out round from the table so the amazon warriors finished the top but uh, the tridents finished second in the table but in the final is the tridents that actually took it out in 2019. this year with the um covid 19 there's been a lot of players pulling out or players that didn't get their travel um documents or arrangements for travel sorted out in time that had to be submitted to the caribbean respective caribbean governments um, and therefore, and so that they could complete their two weeks of quarantining. So there was a lot of changes in the squads. I've got the squads up there. Um, I suppose looking at the squads, that you, I don't know if you guys can hopefully see that, but uh, who are the players that you can see that I want to watch out for? Chris Gale moving to St. Lucia Zooks. Chris Gale's pulled out, mate. Can't keep hey. up, keep up. Yeah. He's pulled out yes. for family reasons. Oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm sorry. Yeah. Now, because I knew there was a game on today and I was going to, oh, I wonder if he's going to play. There you go. <laughs> no, it is. Oh, yeah. it... There's no reason for me to watch it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we've got a few Kiwis playing there. there is. We've got well, a few Kiwis, so we'll go through them. Down. Like, Yep, sorry, Karen. Good plug for Manukau, Manukau City's got two players. Manukau City Cricket Club has two players yep. there. It's Cody and Nick Kelly both playing for St. Lucia. No, St. Kitts. St. Kitts and Nevis. Patriot. Yep, right. So you have, so Nick Kelly, yes. The, it's, a, it's, it's interesting, Nick Kelly. It's, it's not a name that's well-known in New Zealand cricket, but um, a North, Northern player, Northern Districts player. Northern Districts player who's moved to Otago. Um, good player. Um, he's. Uh, I mean, you can see the connection there. I think you put it, put the pieces together. You would think, with like you mentioned, with a lot of players unable to make it, um, get there. So, from what I understand, you had to get on a plane and get yourself to London to get onto a chartered flight at a certain right. day. If you, if you right. couldn't get your country 
well, if your borders were closed or whatever, that meant you missed out, and a lot of South Africans did miss out, which is where someone like yes. the Nick, Alley, Nick Kelly, who's a good friend of East Sodi, I'm just piecing it together, making a few assumptions, you know, it kind of opened up a door for him. And right. good on him, he's a good player. Um, two years ago, I think he pumped a double hundred against in County's Premier League in in a, just a standard club game. Um, my, my brief... Um, Flirt with uh, Northern Knights that year. He was fantastic. Did really well there, and then he was actually pulled down to Otago, where he actually did well again. What what I am surprised here is that I don't see Anton Devisic because he would have been tailor made for those kind of pitches, and he's probably a better version of Nick Kelly. And he bowls so as well. Yeah, well, exactly right, and he's and he's already been there before. So I'm surprised he's not there. But again, I, with him being a family man, he, a lot of them probably didn't want to do the isolation and quarantining period and be away from family for extended periods of time. And I suppose there is but, the reality is, is that, you know, you are, there is a risk element. You're traveling around the world with this pandemic going on. You want to stay <laughs> home and stay safe, don't you? Well, if you've got family in particular. Yeah, eggs are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, so look, depends quickly, on how many zeros are next to your cross. Yeah, no, I mean, like, um, we've seen had a couple of games already, and we've seen Mitchell Satner, um, going pretty well. He he bowled, uh, he got bowled four overs and got a couple of wickets and key wickets too, because they were, um, in the game. It was Chris Lynn and Ben Dunk, the two Australians who, um, like hitting a ball a long way. So he helped their Tridents get home in that game. Um, Corey mm. Anderson didn't trouble the scorers too much in that one, but yeah, Satner picked up 20 runs and I said a couple of wickets for not too many runs. So he did quite well there. I, yeah, um, I I see Glenn Phillips did really well. Yep. He dominated in one game. Yeah, he got about 40 uh, runs in uh, his game. That's right. He's, he's a bit of a, he's turning into a bit of an incumbent for the Jamaica Talavas. He's been there for probably his third or fourth gig third now. Third season, yeah, third season. Yeah, and, he, and he's a lovely, lovely guy too. Um, so, yeah, I'm so stoked every time to... If anyone that knows him is just a wonderful person. So yeah, like every time you see him do well, you're like, oh, yeah, you're quite, makes you quite happy. Makes you feel like you're scoring the runs yourself. <laughs> <laughs> hey, one player I want to talk about that um, who, who's really, he performs fantastically well, is West Indian Sunil Narayan. It's just unfortunate that we're only ever going to see him playing in um, T20 games, really, isn't it? We won't see him in uh, playing for the West Indies. He's only really going to be playing um, 20 T20 competitions around the world, but already he scored a fifty. He's he's bowled really well. He's just a, I, I think he's a phenomenal player. Yeah. Oh man, look at his record, right? Yeah. His record years, deserves his more attention. Sorry, what's that, Tess? In last three years, his batting has come a long way as well, and has been sort of used up the order even in IPL. Yep. Well, it's the IPL that first um, introduced them as an opening batter, if I remember correctly. Back back early days, they sort of trialled it. Um, and then they sort of on and off, he used to start for the IPL I team think, that he played in. I, I I can't recollect the entire story, but I, listening to the couple of guys who played in that team, I think it had a lot to do with Brendan McCullum. When he saw right. him bat the nets and it's gone, Jesus, this guy can hit the ball. He needs to be opening the batting, not hiding at night. 
and it had I think whatever his transformation with the from a batting front actually had to do with Brendan McCullum with the at the Kolkata Knight Riders. Mm. Yeah, so that right. that's probably yep. yeah, there there is some sort of a connection. I don't remember the entire story. But there are some unique names there. You've got Dominic Brakes. I think he's the son of Basper Brakes, who used to be a former West Indian fast bowler. He spent a lot of time in South Africa. He's there. He's coming through. Um, Donson Charles, who's played for West Indies as well. Heaps of names that you'd actually recognise if you, or if you follow a bit of international cricket. But if, or, or, yeah, or in, in particular, West Indian cricket. Yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> but I think from, from CPL's perspective, all the big names are covered. Like, you know, obviously all their big names, apart from uh, Chris Gale, but rest of them are all featuring in the in the games, which is probably important to for CPL, especially with, with COVID around. Um, it's worth noting, that has an interest to hear your thoughts. They do have a um, um, infatuation with Afghanistani cricket players. Like, they do pick up a lot of Afghan pros. Yes. So even like unknowns, like they don't necessarily pick up international stars, they just pick up fringe players. I as think well. they even picked one fifteen or sixteen year old left arm spinner, Noor Noor really he his yeah. visa something didn't work out in time. But like, yeah. yeah, so they kind of yeah, they they are investing in Afghanistan like spinners mainly. Yeah. So is that because those guys are proven players or is there a bit of a connection or how would they get onto the radar? I guess, like, 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 if you remember, Rashid Khan once obviously came, you know, like four years ago, like, and he was good. And then Mujib wasn't, he hasn't played much cricket, but still got an IPL contract. So I guess, yeah. like, um, it's just like how a certain country starts pr producing certain things. Like, West Indies with fast bowlers, like, you know, there are a lot of West Indian fast bowlers who would have played, like, who didn't play for West Indies, but would have played for any other era. So I think yeah, with yeah, Afghanistan, yeah. Uh, Rashid Khan and all these top spinners playing for Afghanistan, we don't get to see anything below them. And yeah, yeah. Uh, they still have the quality. I think they still have enough quality that's, in there. That's a really good excuse to use for my lack of cricket. Oh, Vittori was around, you know. We'll play that one. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, moving along, we'll sort of like the um, the, the old statesman of um, Indian cricket team has retired from international cricket. Mahindra Singh Dhoni sort of deciding to this week to hang up the international hat anyway. And um, look, a fabulous career, isn't it? And um, we'll look at some of his stats here. You sort of he's the performances. And when we look at the sort of in particular, what stood out to me in ODIs, an average of 50 in one-day internationals. Fabulous cricketer. I mean, yeah, I go, well, records, records speak, you know, obviously <laughs> pretty high for himself. And uh, I think the, the, what, what I personally liked about him was, like, calmness. Like, you know, yeah. obviously, when Pakistan plays India, you know, I would be supporting Pakistan. But, like, just his presence <laughs> and calmness, especially while he's batting. He was, uh, I mean, he was a brilliant keeper as well. But just as a batsman, he was just calm in the middle while while chasing i think it just changed the sort of uh, dynamics of uh, finishes because generally finishes are like big hitters but he could do both like you know yeah. he if he wanted to bad time he could do that as well so uh, yeah i think it was just an amazing person overall 
I, I think yeah. you're right in that sense that he he actually did one of the things he sort of um, brought to international sort of um, one day internationals and the T20 is the way to um, um, pace that chase towards the end of the innings. You know, you'd be sitting there going, oh, my God, the run rate's getting up to 12s, 13s, 14s, 15s. But he just made sure he kept ticking the scoreboard over and he managed the whole situation and the scenario and knew in the last few overs, if he needed to, he could get those 14, 15s in the last two, three overs if he needed to. And that's that, that was the thing that sort of stood out to me. And, you know, the number of people that sort of think, oh, what's he doing? Um, but the calmness, as you say, to stay calm under that pressure to see the game through. That World Cup final that he had that innings to win that, just a pure example of it. Yeah, India was in trouble early. Um, and he, he got them as close as he did. I mean, he got a 50 yes. in that and that, and that last, what turned out to be his last innings in international ODIs was a as was oh. a fifty. And yeah, I wasn't talking about that one where they oh, lost right. that game, but uh, this is the one where they played in the final. Oh, you're talking about where they got the six off uh, yeah, yeah. Sri Lanka. Yeah, yeah, against Sri Lanka and winning the World Cup final. That was a great example of being a closer there. What a fabulous innings to watch. But um, we're lucky he didn't do it against us in the last World Cup. <laughs> yeah. He got so close. He got exactly. close. It wasn't far away. Yeah, It was a, a brilliant bit of fielding that basically brought his innings to an end. I have to say, I'm a bit gutted personally. I didn't get to watch much of Dhoni uh, in his earlier days because I think he was famous for his helicopter shot and I've been trying to find out, you know, I'll Google and looking up his helicopter like shots. Have, everyone's you, talking about. You'll find plenty of those. You won't do you will not be short of footage. No, helicopter. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, look, I, everyone's the biggest thing with Donny, like you take away the stats, right? Forget the stats. The stats are what they are. But yep. and the, the what um really kind of describes him is probably something that Stats, the intangibles that he kind of brought to the Indian team. It's his absolute game awareness, like his supreme game awareness in all aspects of the game across the board, from ball one to finish, even determining the squads, reading the pitch, managing personalities, his mannerisms, everything. I think that's probably what he'll be known for, not necessarily. And the helicopter shot, that's about it. You know, you forget all his, <laughs> you know, his knocks and his ability, supreme confidence in himself to chase down whatever total that is 36 and below in the last over. He had the confidence to chase it down. If you look up videos, he was pretty much putting his hand out going, no, 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 no singles. He just took six balls and tried to chase down 14, 15, 25, whatever. But the biggest thing was is how he controlled his bowlers. Taz, what, what do you think? Like he had, he had a lot of young spinners and he made them fantastic spinners. And I think they owe it to Dhoni being behind the stumps. And their real learnings will now show up when Dhoni's not there telling them how to bowl. Yeah, yeah on the spot. Because uh, with him, like obviously the spinners especially prospered in shorter formats. And uh, as you can see, because we obviously understand Hindi and sometimes they're playing you know, some other team that he's sort of like, sort of, you know, instructing the bowler to change his line or bowl wider or fuller or whatever. And uh, it was all spot on. And, and, and you're right, like, um, um, especially for spinners, the captain, if, you know, 
if someone gives you advice from behind the stumps and someone like Dhoni who was spot on really helps and uh, definitely without him they will struggle yeah and he's complete chalk and cheese right with their current captain compared to what Dhoni was like in terms of his body language chalk and cheese this guy is probably going to turn uh, turn around and go oh what's going on what's going on what's going on as opposed to the other guy going yeah yeah that's fine there's some fantastic articles floating around social media at the moment and some of them about little quirky things Tony says from behind the stumps that the stump might pick up. <laughs> so, and it's actually really cool stuff. Like, actually, they're all really witty. They never, he never yells at them. There's one where apparently he's trying to get attention for off Streisand, a deep square leg boundary to get him move squarer. And Streisand wasn't paying attention. He was looking into the stands. And this article says that he just turned, he goes, Oi, Stree, your girlfriend's not over there. Come this way. just hurry up and move this way or pay attention when i'm talking to you none of that he goes oh you're, there's no girlfriend there come keep moving this way obviously <laughs> yeah yeah and i think his body language on the field was awesome like it it felt like it, even the things were not going his way he was still like you know he was still calm and under control uh, whereas, like, um, someone like, no offense with, with Sarah Ganguly, but I've got some mates who've played against India around that time in ODIs and stuff. And they said, like, there was a lot of advice coming through, like, you know, obviously Sachin, and it was almost like, um, you know, when the things were tough, you know, other people were taking over, you know, from Ganguly. Whereas <laughs> with Tony, it was just, you know, he was he was the man, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you, I mean, it's, you, you saw in games where he'd basically say to one of his players, you know, this is like, just calm down. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because I think any doesn't matter what sport you play, if you lose your rag, if you lose control, it affects your game big time. And the last thing you want to do is to lose control because then you can't, it doesn't matter how good you are, you can't then um, perform to the maximum that you can. You know, another person who comes close to that kind of um, attitude or thinking is actually Brendan McCullum. He yep. he talked about, yep. like, again, my brief interactions with him, he talked about kind of staying on the equilibrium, not going up, not going down. Like, you just detach yourself from the result and you just follow the process. You just do what needs to be done and things will look after itself. And he was very similar. If you look at New Zealand's 2015 success, he didn't go up. He didn't go down. Like he was just literally. He, he just was maintained like a, it at, at, at a certain level. Everyone's getting excited around him, winning or losing. He just kept poker face, right? He just, just cool. same guy, whatever the result. And again, very similar kind of people, I think. Astute and wicket keepers. Yeah, wicket keepers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> great call. <laughs> hey, look, we, we're sort of like um, we'll we'll move it along because we've got our last thing that we will fit in, even though we've gone over time as we always do anyway. Is it's like, and I think it's a quick one. Um, so the man cad we've had just in the last couple of days, where Ricky Ponting is talking about having a chat with Ravi Ashwin um, about using his using the mancat as an option for dismissals. Um, obviously, Ricky Ponting's not a fan. We've talked about it on the show previously. I don't think we've changed, have we, guys? At the end of the day, it's a mode of dismissal that's in the game, and we sort of think if you remove it, then the batsman can get yet another advantage that they've got lots of anyway. 
yeah, yeah, I guess like unless unless the there is a ruling around umpire making the call, that if the batsman is leaving early and then umpire can give uh, obviously five penalty runs. I, I I've seen it do it's been done in club cricket right. against us. But from the umpires, I mean, if if they feel like you know the batsman is leaving early, consistently they can they can penalize them. I guess like that's the other way of doing it. But yeah, it's um, legal but unethical. You know? <laughs> is it can I, can yeah. I ask? Yeah, yeah. Go is on. it player umpires? Your own teammate. I mean, my question, my question around this is right. Like, I totally get that. Like, Taz. Um, I mean, we should all remember this. I would have been the youngest out of the lot of the four of us when this happened. But remember Peter Kirsten and Kapil Dev when they came out of apartheid and India went to South Africa for a seven-man series? He did a man catch then. Yeah. He gave him two warnings and he got him on the third time. The point, I mean, yes, there's an element of warning and it's against the spirit of the game. If it's against the spirit of the game, take it out. One, right? So there was one element of, is it right or wrong is one thing, but technically, legally speaking, it's okay to do. So my question is then, and Shruban is listening, and if Shruban is listening, question for him. You as a coach, how far do you go before you impose your own views on a player on how he should play the game? So is Ponting right in saying, hey, we don't play the game that way? But he knew Ashton plays the game the way he does. He chose to buy him. Why would you now change it? That's the question I'm posing to us. Then, why is that right or wrong? You, you basically he, because you go there, Sorry. Yeah, it's a team sport, right? So we you need to sort of like especially this this thing, which you know obviously uh, you, you can discuss these things with the team group. Like if if we were in a team and like you know if we were discussing it, um, everyone has to agree to it because. It's just all the one person does it, but it reflects the whole thing, and yeah. it could put it could put down your own teammates as well. Like because um, maybe ten other guys don't like it, and you're doing it, and you're doing it for because who you are, but you're part of the eleven as well at the same time. Yeah. So okay. I guess like this is something good to bring in a team meeting and see what's the you know, and and if everyone agrees it or most of the teammates agree it, then that's fine because you know. You know, obviously, you you want to win a game, but uh, personally, like I I always discourage people to do it as long as yeah. if they give enough warnings to the batsman if they're still doing it, then do it. No, so here's the thing. So here's the thing. Yes, the Delhi Capitals play their game a certain way under Ricky Ponting's leadership. Agree. Whatever that might be, right or wrong, it's their way. And that previous year, Ponting. Um, um, Ashwin was playing for Kingsley and Punjab. He was playing for a different team. And Ricky Ponting obviously says in his um, interview, said, Ashwin is a player. We actually created room to be able to purchase him. So they actively purchased this buy. So they knew what he was as a player. So why would you buy him? If he doesn't fit within your culture or the way you play, why would you buy him? And then why would you buy something and then manipulate the like try and change something? Get something that fits your needs, right? So yeah, I, I, I'm not with it. I, I'm not saying that's right, but I'm not saying it's wrong either. 
A batsman doesn't say, oh, mate, your foot was only an inch over the line. It's not a no ball. I'll walk off because it's a good nut. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you go, ah, shame, it's a no ball. We, I guess, like, you know, I mean, there are two sides to it. But what I'm trying to say is, like, um, it does affect the whole team, like your own whole team. So as long oh, as I everyone buys yeah. into it, you know. Absolutely. But so then that's, I, I, that's I, I, question, right? Why get him when he doesn't yeah. fit your philosophy? Yeah. Yeah. And and then, it. This is like you're trying to set up as culture of a team. It's just like you don't go around buying players that aren't going to fit your culture. Yeah, and then you buy him, and then you want to change him. Hang on, he he's got he's just as capable. It's not like you're getting an 18 year old rookie. You're getting an established world class spinner who's done his done. He's got what 200 plus test wickets. He's allowed to have his own way of playing as well, right? And he'll fit into another model somewhere else that will embrace him for who he is because he'll probably have a very um, realistic um, um, justification for his actions as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, let's, let's, we'll, we'll see now as we wait for um, just, just for Sherubin, um, just to let you know, I'm not playing for the Delhi Capitals. It'll be Ravi Chandra, Ashwin, that'll be doing that, not me. So, um, <laughs> but let's wait. We'll, we'll see now. I think it's September, that um, middle of September, that the um, IPL kicks off. Or was it October? I've sort of I've lost my bearings on when that kicks off. And we'll have to keep an eye on whether um, Ravi Chandra, Ashwin, not me, um, goes and tries a man cad after having a chat with Ricky Ponting. So um, we wait and look forward to seeing how he plays the game and whether it's a change in his habits. We've also right. split, I suppose, in terms of... You've been, too harsh. You've been too harsh on it. It's not habits. It's a one-off. It's a one-off. One <laughs> oh, look, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I think we've also agreed. It's just like, you know, we have a little bit of consensus. I know we're sort of on different pages, but if it's a continual habit from the batsman, then he's fair game. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Or they change the rules in terms of what um, Taz said, is that they change the rules, it becomes the umpire, it goes back to the umpire, and the umpire looks to minus five runs or um, the, does some sort of deduction off the off the, yeah, they're going, you, but They have to you, make that a formal rule. If, if that happens though, Taz, don't you think it needs to be almost seven runs? Because if you're batting up and on striker, I'll run the risk of getting you back on strike because you'll hit a six next ball. So it's got to be six plus something, so it's not worth the risk. It but can I mean, be a... like, in reality, like you know, these things can distract you from your own game as well, you know. Yeah. So I mean, like, and and I mean, I've seen people sort of getting detracted with that. So I guess, like, um, yeah, I mean, they, I mean, if they want to bring a rule in, they can. Um, but I personally think a warning to the batsman before getting like you know mancated, it's probably fair call. Fair call. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, we better we better wrap it up there because we've gone well over time today. So um, thanks, guys, for once again being on the show. Really appreciate it. Um, is it the uh, information that you guys bring to the show was just absolutely fantastic. So thank you again, Taz, Taryn, and Rohit for being on the show tonight. And um, basically, thank you everybody out there for viewing today. Make sure that you hit the like button, and more importantly, hit that share button. If the more you share it, the more that our love goes out to the rest of the cricketing world, and the more that they get to see it. And then they come and watch the show as well, which will help us. We get those numbers up. We might even get some sponsors. So that'll be awesome. So remember to tune in to New Zealand Sport Radio 
on a daily basis. We've got the morning sports briefing every morning at 7 a.m. in the morning to get your up-to-date information on what's happening in the sports world. Then we've got the um, driving wall show on Monday nights, starting at 8 o'clock as well. Tuesday, there's the basketball show, which has just started. That's been going for a couple of weeks. So if you're into a bit of um, basketball and dribbling around, tune into that show on 8 o'clock, uh, sorry, at 8 o'clock on Tuesday nights. League show on Wednesday night. Get get all this. League show on Wednesday night. Our show, the best show on the radio channel, Swinging from the Hip on Thursdays. And then there's some preview and preview shows for Super Rugby also happening on Fridays and Sundays. So make sure that you keep tuning into New Zealand Sport Radio for all your sporting content. And we'll see you back here at 8 p.m. on Thursday nights for more Swinging from the Hip. Thank you. 